Welcome to the Stats Check Podcast with your host Andrew and Joe. Follow us on Facebook at Stats Check Podcast and Twitter at Stats Check Cast. Now to this week's review of Season 3, Episode 3 of Furikuri, FL Seal Alternative Freestyle Collection. So this is once again our greatest hits of the squad series moving from Hajiri to Mosan. So what do you think about this episode, Joe? I'm going to take a page out of your book from last time, and I'm going to say that this is my least favorite episode of Furikuri to date. And, you know, it's not for the lack of important content, but I think the delivery was just not up to where it has been, where it needs to be to really, you know, it, it, it's, it's hard. It's hard, you know, to say it has to live up to the name but it does. Yeah. They put the name on it. They have to they have to earn that. Yeah, it's not just something that we're going to let them walk to, you know, first or second base and I think for anybody out there who thinks we're just, you know, sitting here tooting the horn to toot the horn, listen to the last episode, this episode, you know, we're willing to be a little bit harsher. I'm with you on this one, Joe. I think this one um I was debating whether I liked this one less or the last one less, but it's about the same amount of of um failure to deliver, really. I think there was a lot of potential and, you know, I've been really disappointed in the sort of writing and the music and just overall the delivery of the message. Yeah. Did, did we even get the pillows this time in this episode at all? I, I'm not sure. I've heard like weird EDM. I've heard a lot of other things that are not the pillows, but I don't know where they're at. Are they, are they recording in different music styles now? I have no clue. <laughs> Look, I, I don't know. I'm not deep into that, but no, that, that can't be what it is. Yeah, so you know this was this was the obviously the most on and and once again if I'm giving a star rating since we've been doing that I'm gonna stick where I was last time at like a three or four out of ten probably closer to a three. Yeah, I mean I, I'm at like four and a half I guess because I still think there are some things that I pulled out of this that are important topics. I mean for the audience to consider you know viewing this, but. I can really see, you know, if I didn't have to sit down and do this, I'm not sure it would have come to me as soon as it did. Mm -hmm. So uh, this episode kind of focuses once again on Mosan, but also on, you know, a side of her that we hadn't seen yet. So, you know, we hadn't seen that she had this aspiration to design clothes. Honestly, we'd seen that she was a great engineer, that she could build stuff, that she was super smart. But and, you know, obviously she she, you know, has all this intelligence, but, you know, we didn't see this sort of design side of her, almost like a feminine side. You know, she's a, a Coco Chanel here or something like that. <laughs> there, there was a little bit of a hint when they're building the rocket. She does, you know, kind of shoot back at Pets's criticism. It's like, you know, design over function. Mm -hmm. And so there was a hint. Yeah. OK. Yeah, that that makes sense. And, and, you know, you get this sort of dream. Now, if I remember, they have sort of their, um, you know, college, you know, what are you going to do in college forms to fill out, correct? That's one of the, the early prompts. Yeah. And these are the three of the four of them are the last in class to not do this because, you know, they're listless and tangled. And I think that's one of the things about Kana that we kind of see, because obviously she's our protagonist. We're learning a little bit about her in every episode even the episodes that are focused on other characters. And, you know, I think this episode did kind of highlight Kana in that, you know, she has ended up kind of 
you know, not knowing what she's doing for herself and supporting her friend's dreams and her friend's ambitions without thinking about Kana and what Kana wants. Yeah. And I, I found myself wondering, you know, at the end of this, you know, how how much of a challenge that is going to be for her. I mean, yeah, we go through this episode and we sort of pass through this storyline where she doesn't have a dream for herself. And so, you know, she's called out for nosing into other people's business again. But is that really so bad? I mean, to devote yourself, you know, to helping other people if you don't have really something yet for yourself. It is if if you're not full fulfilling yourself, if you're unfulfilled in doing that, you know, or only partially fulfilled. I mean, altruism is something that in a, in a good world, in a best world, makes everybody a better person. It is part of being a human being. But a lot of times you have more, you know, selfish or not even selfish, but, but more um, self-centered needs that need to be fulfilled. You know, you're, if you're always giving to others, what are you giving to yourself? And at a certain point, you have to step back and say, what do I need to give to myself to make myself happy? not to make somebody else happy. And with Kana, I think that it does, I think she is truly altruistic. I think it does make her happy to help others, but I'm not sure she's fully fulfilled yet with that role. It's hard to say. I don't think she's running away from herself by doing these things for her friends. You know, when she's out there on the construction site, she's the only one that, you know, seems to have that second wind going on. She seems really you know, in that moment, happy to be helping her friend sort of in that naive way without understanding Mosan's feelings. And I mean, I'd want her to go with that if that's really what works for her. And I don't, I haven't seen anything otherwise to make me think that there's some trouble brewing. Some trouble brewing over the horizon? Yeah, it's... You know, she hasn't even, you know, overflowed in a particularly spectacular way, overpower. Yeah. yeah, spectacular way, you know, in the way that we're used to with, you know, protagonists in season two and season one, you know, really struggling with themselves and their relations to each other. In, in this episode, her overflow was, you know, almost an afterthought. Yeah, her and, and her overthrow, overflows have been kind of lackluster, really. They haven't been, you know, spectacular yet. Uh, I mean, like you said, they haven't been something that's kind of knocked it out the park or that's brought the bomb down, you know? N- nothing, nothing huge. And I think there's more to come. And I think she's still going to have her moment. I mean, it's just going to be later. I think it's going to be, you know, episode five or six, right? Because if this is episode three, and we have the Pets episode coming up, right? So let's say that's four. Unless Pets just ducks out of it. Well, right, or we get the basketball episode instead, and like that's part of the Pets episode. I don't know. You know, because the basketball episode has now been hyped with, you know, the guys going skins in the uh, classroom. I didn't get that at all. You know, I get it. Yeah, it's raining, people are wet. But, you know, the dude that kind of supposedly likes their wasn't even wet. I don't know why the guy was trying to strip him down. Fan service, man. Fan service. <sighs> yeah. Give the people what they want. But Kana doesn't want it. She keeps denying it. She clearly wants it. She clearly is into it. I mean, that, that denial is too much. You know, the lady doth protest too much. Right. 
I mean, it's it's there. The thirst is real. And I think that's part of her budding womanhood there. It's just her kind of coming late to that recognition. You know, and I think that's part of her acknowledging what she wants, you know, um, rather than thinking of what everybody else says or whether people will tease her. You know, I mean, that's, I think, the reason why she hasn't pursued that is because of external pressures, not because of her. Uh, it aligns with her internal desire. Mm. It could entirely be the other way around. And honestly, I'm hoping it is because as you were pointing out previously, we already had kind of a romantic fulfillment arc in season two. And so I think I'd prefer it that she really bucks that trend and really doesn't want to get involved with this guy at the end. I, you know, I would be okay if it was just something that was like kind of acknowledged to be there, kind of a middle ground. So, you know, with Nauta in season one, you had like Nina Mori and Nauta, which actually I think were a great couple, by the way. But, you know, there never was like an acknowledgement of anything being there and it was sort of played to the side. Then on the opposite spectrum, you have like the one true pairing with Hidomi and Ide in season two. And I, I would be okay with like them acknowledging that there's some interest there on both sides, maybe mutual interest. And, you know, maybe it just doesn't go anywhere. It's not explored, but it's something that is like acknowledged. I, I think that would be something that we haven't seen yet. If FLCL is trying to really give us stuff we haven't seen. And, you know, there's, there's a lot more to be explored in, in sort of other relationships, too. I mean, I think that's why they're giving us the friends, you know, the sort of friend circles, because this is something that hasn't been fully explored. Yeah. When we're talking about season one, especially in light of this, it continues to remind me of, again, I'm going to have to come back to a negative note here, you know, sort of how down I am on the way they're doing the storytelling in that episodic fashion with a character specific episode again, like we've had here where, you know, the whole thing is kind of crunched together and you're following it, but, and I'm not a director, but I'm going to say that it seems like it would have been possible, at least with the material we've had so far, you know, Hijiri's relationship coming together and falling apart. Mosan's quest here for, design or modeling or whatever it is to kind of been blended together across two or more episodes rather than made into discrete units. Yeah. Cause it's the pace is very plotting for FLCL. It's, it's very slow. Yeah. And it, you know, the, you're kind of reaching for action. I mean, there's always a battle in every single one. There's always some sort of fight. There was barely a battle in this right, episode. But, but, right. Exactly. It was, you know, mainly, Mainly Haruko versus some cops, right? I mean, that was the yeah, biggest battle. which I don't get either. She usually doesn't fight humans with the exception of, like, Amaral's henchmen. Right. And, and think about the pace of that and think about the style of that. That was a particular style and, you know, it was almost comical, like a comedy scene. Because, of course, she's overpowering all these people, you know, going out. I mean, they kind of... Yeah. It, I mean, that was, that was like their nod to John Woo... And that styling there, you know, these these wide panoramic shots of people, you know, dodging around and bullets flying everywhere. And, yeah, you know, it was it was good in the moment. It, it was captivating. And that's just not what's been going on here in this season. And I mean, we had killed. We, sorry, we had Michael Bay um, last time. So what do, we, what do we have in this one? Is it Quentin Tar Tarantino? Not really. I mean, it's I don't know what sort of style they were trying to summon up for that 
sort of uh, no, maybe no. Zoolander, Zoolander maybe modeling. You know, I even watched that movie at some point in my life, but I can't. Blue Steel. I, I would have at least been entertained if they had made like a direct reference there. If one of the judges had had like Mugato's haircut, I'd be like, okay, yeah. I, I get that reference too. I'm Captain America here. I got thought out, but I know this one. Right, right. But that wasn't the case. Okay, yeah, no, no. It, and I, I agree with that. Like I was trying to follow some of the styles and, and, and you know, I think the one thing for both of us and, and, you know, Joe and I, we've known each other for so long that, you know, we know when each other's going to be annoyed. And I think <laughs> both of us, when she picked up that mic and she started to rap, <laughs> a groan went out simultaneously in Orlando and Miami. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of cheating on your part because almost everything annoys me, but you are absolutely right. Uh Yeah. I'm not going to say I'm a big, you know, historian of the hip hop culture, but there are definitely parts that I like and there are definitely good things to come out of that for everyone. And this was a dark moment in the history of rapping. Yeah, it was. I mean, I mean, and I've listened to you rap. Well, well, that's what I was thinking it would it would remind you of, honestly, is my nursery rhyme raps and in high school. You know, my amateurish cafeteria raps. And that's that's part of what was infuriating about this is because the brand Furikuri, among other things, is known for quick, sharp dialogue and wordplay. And that's just not what we had here. You know, we waited, you know, granted, they weren't writing it for that long, but we waited 18 years for this verse and it bombed. And, and think about it. Back to back, we've had horrible bombs like you know, the wrapping, obviously, and uh, the Venus penis in the last one. I mean, between those two, it's just been really kind of too much. I, I'm not going to be as down on that simply because... You're not going to touch that? <laughs> I don't think I could hold it. Nice. But uh, no, in this case, I mean, I, I get what they were trying to do. It was supposed to be kind of a thing to sort of lighten Kana's mood there, which it did. And... It did give us in the in the actual lyrics. Yeah, there was some value there. Haruka was, you know, sort of calling out what Kana's motivations were for trying to help her friend finding her own fulfillment in that and, you know, sort of looking at it the wrong way and also sort of releasing some of her own frustrations about her own struggles, which we haven't really seen a lot of in this season. Mm -hmm. But Again, the delivery was just, yeah, it just fell flat. Mm -hmm. No, I, I completely agree with that. And, um, you know, one of the interesting things was I thought we were done with kind of working, but we've seen a lot of working in, in you know, this one where, you know, Mosan has overworked her, you know, job as a construction worker. She's about to pass out. She's so tired, which, of course, I can identify with. But, you know, we had E-Day doing construction work in season two. Yeah, I mean, it's a different environment. I mean, clearly this one, they're at least looking out for her a little bit more. It's not the the harsh, you know, gulag that we were seeing Ide put himself through. But all the same, yeah, you're right. It's pretty much the same kind of thing. They have something they want to do, and they're going to sacrifice to go follow that dream. Right. And, you know, I think we went back and forth about dreams, right? And and. Uh, that that's an important topic, and I think we could probably even go into another full 
episode on that, which maybe we will. I I feel like I've said enough about most of the rest of this. This is really the part that I want to focus on for this episode because it was the only thing that really gripped me. And, and when we're talking dreams, just to be clear, we're talking about aspirations, not um, you know, dreamland dreams. No, I I don't know if that's clear. And I think that's one of the things that came out of this. You know, we're talking, they're talking there to the soba shop guy who we get a little backstory on here. He was a DJ and he dropped that to open a noodle shop because the God of soba came to him in a dream, like in a, an unconscious dream and gave him that aspiration dream. So I know, I think there is a connection there to be made and to be explored. Yeah. But I, I you know, and I, that's one thing where it's like, okay, that's the, the, the guy who's high and makes soba. Yeah. Yeah, sure. And it, they laugh at it, you know, there's too much ganja. Yeah, I get that. That's, that's the alternate explanation, but all the same, where did that dream come from? It's possible it came from an aspiration or it's possible it came from the last thing you did. I mean, look, you know, when I watch it, when you watch a horror movie and you go to bed, you're more likely to have a nightmare or something related to that horror movie. It doesn't mean it's from a deep part of your unconscious. I I was about to take that all the way the wrong way. (laughs) I thought you were about to tell me that, you know, after you watch that horror movie, you start thinking about, man, I need to switch careers and get into Freddy Krueger's line of work, but no, not that. No, 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 no. <laughs> exactly. In fact, that's, that's, that's exactly the point. You don't think, Hey, you know, I need to become Jason. You think, Oh, I watched a horror movie. That's where that's coming from. Dreams are, are dreams are not. I, and I don't think the jury is out on dreams, Joe. I don't think you can come out and say, your well, dreams clearly come from a deep part of your subconscious that really is illuminating. Anything. Oh, all right. Chill out, Deckard Kane. But it, it's, it, it is, you know, it is important to focus on the aspirational parts of those dreams because I think sometimes our reflections of ourself, our positive reflections of ourself or reflections of our future can be used to push us and propel us forward. Yes, but I do, I just want to, you know, continue to acknowledge that, you know, especially with the things that seem the most gripping they come out of something that we don't ourselves fully understand, which is why it seems like it's something that comes from an unconscious or comes from an external source. You know, maybe a different way to frame it would be, you know, the concept of a calling. Mm. You know, it's something that comes to you that you don't really have a choice in the matter of. You just realize one day or it's revealed to you one day that this is really what you're about, whether you knew it or not. That's interesting, Joe. I I don't think I necessarily agree with you on that. I think some people label stuff as a calling, even though it's more of a discovery. I've had people, you know, describe that experience and and call it a calling. But, you know, really, it's just, okay. I've realized that the that X, Y and Z line up for me and therefore I need to do this. Or these circumstances have lined up such that I need to do this. If you're going to prescribe, you know, a certain, um, you know, divine intent to that, that's, you know, your own business. Well, I, but, I'm saying that that's... I mean, a calling has a sort of, has a sort of mysterious yes. element there too. You know, And it, that's why, that's why I picked that, I mean, partly to try to provoke you into following where I'm going with this. 
but also just because it occupies that space of things that we otherwise can't explain. And so we have a variety of other explanations, whether it's divine intervention or ganja or just a collection of experiences that we're not remembering correctly. But it seems like it's out of our control. You know, wh what is it that made Mosan want to be a designer? Or curiously enough, by the end of the episode, she says she wants to be the top model instead. You know, it feels like it came out of left field, but you have to believe what she's saying, right? Yeah, you can't. You have to take her at face value, right? And... You know, so I think that's kind of where I can see where Kana's anxiety is coming from, because she doesn't feel like she has that drive in her and she doesn't know where to get it from. You know, she's saying, oh, I, w I need to focus my energy like Mosan is doing. And her friends are like, that doesn't really sound like something that you do. Hmm. Yeah, it's it was hard to me whether or not her friends had a good enough read on her. You know, that was that was what I was wondering this entire time is how well do they know each other still? Because, I mean, even with like uh, Hijiri, um, you know, with the modeling twist, right? Mm -hmm. You know, and that, that's one that I, you know, picked up on, you know, as well. I think we both picked up on that. You know, I, I, I was a little surprised that, that, you know, she said, you know, she didn't even care for it. But, you know, it's what's expected of her. And, you know, that's why she's going to, you know, go through with it. But that was that was kind of where she was coming from in diagnosing Kana. She says, I'm the same way, which is why I see this in you. I don't actually have that dream that people are ascribing to me. So she feels like I think that they're in the same boat, which is why they haven't turned in that college. Thing. But they're but they're not, though, because Hijiri it has a direction, even though that's not her dream or her passion. She has a direction. Kana does not have her own direction. Mm -hmm. So at least Hijiri is like, OK, you know, in neutral, Hijiri is floating towards a destination. Yes. But in neutral, Kana is hovering. She's not moving forward. She's just staying where she is. But she's been consistent in that. You know, in episode one, she says the same thing. They're talking about, you know, sort of what their abstract plans for the future are. And she says something kind of ludicrous, like, you know, I wish a magic cat would appear and give me some wand or something. It's like that that is a valid thing to wait for, but your chances not so good these days. I was going to say, I don't think that's a valid thing to wait for at all. I mean, you know, I mean, maybe in a, in, in a, you know, different universe, but, you know, here prescribed by the rules of this world, you know, well, you have, you have, well, well, let me put it this way. Okay. Let me reframe this in, in our, in our friendship episode, you know, when we talked about an excellent episode, independent of any series, please go watch it. Hype, 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 <laughs> or listen to it rather hype. You know, we talk about positive growth, you know, and that's something you expect as friends to push you push you in a positive direction, you know, and, and Kana definitely has the ability to support, but, you know, is she being pushed by her friends in positive directions? I, I don't know. I don't know. Right. I mean, where I was going with that is she's waiting for something that we find unrealistic, but it hasn't always been so. I mean, you can say we've lived in the same world in the sense of you know, we have a common history going all the way back to wherever it started. Right. There weren't magic uh, cats we hunted into extinction. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that things that we now find unbelievable were previously more believable. And th specifically, I'm trying to point at divine intervention here. You know, not, not cats or any other particular outlandish species, but 
people used to believe that divine inspiration was something reasonable to expect, you know, for making decisions, finding one's course in life, etc. And now, today, we just don't find that the case. Yeah, that, that, that was something that was kind of uh, par for the course, right? I mean, but the, the, the I guess, analogy here could be alien intervention, right? Because there's, you know, interplanetary travel. It's brought up every single episode by the prime minister now. Well, I mean, they also personally know a real alien anyway. Do they know she's an alien yet? I don't think so. I mean, well, if they think she's human after all of this, they're more gullible than I thought. She hasn't done anything too weird. I mean, maybe. She's kind of flown through the air a little bit. So have they at this point. Well, again, and this is sort of, I think, the, the Fury Kuri-ish thing about this whole thing, what, what ties this season to the past seasons, they end up, you know, kind of going along with this almost fantastical experience because they are living it. And, you know, that was the lesson that we kind of took out of season one, especially, but also season two, that you know, you have these experiences of ordinary life, but there are really extraordinary things that can and are happening that you may not pay attention to, that you may not, you know, give much consideration to, but they can still inspire you. Sure, sure. So I don't think it's totally off the mark for Kana to say, well, I'm still waiting really to be inspired because it's 17 I mean, who knows what they're going to do? I mean, that's what they say themselves. But we talked about this before. You were feeling somewhat uncertain then. I was feeling certain, but I was proven wrong. And right, no, and and I don't think they're they're certainly not fixed at that point. In fact, I always argue that nobody's fixed. That in any given moment, once again, going back to season two, you have that capacity to change. That and that doesn't change, right? Mm-hmm. But. In this in this case, you know, you you have folks who haven't even got off the starting block to to move down that path. You know, I, specifically, I mean, I think like Kana and Pets are probably the two. Well, Pets, we just don't know. Well, we don't know, but it, it's presumed. I mean, that she doesn't have too much going on, but maybe we'll see in episode four, right? And, and that's the weird thing about this. They spend so much time considering how Mosan has been leading this secret life and Pets is right there, almost invisible to their consideration and concern. And, and that makes me wonder, you know, what's their, what's that relationship, you know, like, like how, is she just there all the time? I mean, I've seen, you know, some of her interaction, but it's just, it's just not, not much, not enough for me to latch onto. I mean, at least Hajiri has, you know, some really funny lines every now and then, or, you know, gets a, a quip in. But well, I mean, it's her it's her style to be very flashy that way. Yeah. This is why you identify with her. Exactly. Exactly. Loud, flashy. Uh, I like it. And what about Haruko's kind of screen time in this? I mean, she gets that like sexy nurse scene, which, you know, I was a fan of. But other than that, you know, was kind of kind of weird. I mean, you know, the between that and the modeling, just not, neither one was really. Yeah, I mean, let's just forget that that wrapping ever happened. And sure, I, I erased that from my memory already. We've already talked about it. I don't need to bring it up again. But that's the thing. That's also like, I think, a third of her screen time and most of her lines. So she's not very active here. 
She doesn't do a lot of fighting. And I mean, I could, I could take or leave that school clinic scene too, because really the only thing that comes out of that, that interests me in the longer run is, did she actually perform surgery on Mosan right there? Oh, what I got out of that was that Hajiri had nice boobs. Did we really need that assessment by her to tell that one way or the other? And yes, I mean, is that driving the plot here? It drove me for a little while. I was like, all right, I can forget about this for two seconds. Oh, wait, now we're back into this, this scene. No, I, I mean, I'm wondering if at some point later on, Mosan is going to sprout some kind of robot component because when nobody was paying attention, Haruko implanted her with something. What is she like? Ico, Ico, you know, 0.1, you know, because this takes place beforehand. I don't think it takes place beforehand. It could. It could, but I don't think it does. All right. All right. At some other point, we can talk about where you're coming from with that because I'm not seeing it. But I think that we still have a couple other things here on this particular episode that we can kind of pick apart. And and for me, the most powerful scene and one of the ones that I lament wasn't delivered a little bit better was when Mosan discovers that they've been going to her job and trying to fill in for her so she can rest. Yeah, and that was me too. I, and I think we we had a brief conversation with about this, but you know that was one that I I actually flipped the script on. Initially, I you know was was kind of pissed at Mosan. I said, "Why are you flipping out in Kana? She's trying to be a girl, you know. She's trying to help you out, you know. She's 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 your girl. I meant, you know. She's she's trying to be there for you, mm-hmm. you know, support you, help you. And you're freaking about to flip a table just because she's you know helping you with a little bit of construction work that you fall asleep on anyway, but. Then later, you know, coming back from work and having thought about it, I said, you know what? Sometimes there there are those projects that I get focused on. And if somebody came in and did it, you know, if I was, you know, painting a model, you know, and somebody came in and, you know, finished for me, you know, thinking they were doing me a favor, it said, no, 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 no. It was that process that was valuable to me to get to the end result. And now you've robbed me of the process. So you've robbed some of that, that power. Yeah. You've taken the validity of the victory away, in, in a way. Yeah. And I, you know, I told you this right before we started recording. I'll say it here again. I think we've both been on both sides of this confrontation. And it's one that is not easy to resolve because I think both of those things have a lot of value. The pride that someone takes in their own exertion for their own cause and the affinity they have with their friends and what that drives them to do to help them. So you're saying the higher the affinity, the more drive someone would have to help. Sure. Yeah. The greater lengths one would go to assist. I I don't necessarily agree with that. I think that, you know, in some cases, if you have affinity with a friend, you know when not to assist, when to let them do their own thing because they want to do their own thing. You know, I I know, for example, but that you know, doesn't make it easy to watch as a friend to watch no, someone no, but it, toil it, it, and suffer. No, it does not. But it, it lets you know when it's appropriate and not. I mean, I know that I can't, you know, despite my my best intentions, I'm not going to bust into your job and, you know, hold the mic for the meeting and say, no, 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 I've got this. 
you sure you don't want to do that? Because I'm ready to take off of all that responsibility. <laughs> and, and that's the difference. Like, you know, when, when is one taking pride in one's work versus not? I mean, in the end, I don't think this is such a big deal for Mosan or it shouldn't be because this is just her helping out around a construction site with a bunch of other people. Her name's not on the building. It's, it's just a thing that she's doing as a means to an end. It is not, you know, the greater part of her pride in her project. Right. It's not the project itself. It's a stepping stone to the project. Yeah. And I get that she wants to do it on her own. She wants to prove to herself and to everyone that she has this ability. Heaven knows I can relate to that, but it's, you, you learn that it's not enough or it's not worth going through that with your friends, you know, cause really it's pushing them away, mm -hmm. you know, and she comes back around again in kind of a scene that I wish was scripted a little better. And I can relate to that too. Yeah, and the, the, the thing is, I, that scene, I'm trying to recall it even, the scene where Kana kind of wins over Mosan and how it was done. And it's, and it's hard because, the, you know, I think the script was lacking in such that I, I can't recall the lines very well. I mean, it was, it was really just to the point where Kana was there and apologized, and she said, but that doesn't mean I'm going to stop trying to help you. I'm just going to ask your permission this time. And really just leaves herself out there to see if Mosan can find anything for her to do. Right, right. So it was, a, a, you know, I'm going to ask per permission, not forgiveness this time, right? And Mosan does let her in. And they end up, you know, doing the montage and going through the project. Yeah, and... And what, what, did, you, what did you think about the, 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 you know, and this does skip ahead, but, you know, what did you think about the false victory there, the, you know... Haruko come, Haruko, you know, bumps the model, comes out, you know, beats up the cops, does the dress strut, gives her like one stolen moment in the sunshine. You know, what, what did that have much value for you? It's too soon for me to tell, really, because it's not like it changed the outcome. Even at the very end, Mosan still acknowledges that she didn't win. And, you know, she heads in a completely different direction. She says she wants to be a model, which. Yeah, I was, I was going to confirm. She did say model, not designer. She said model. Yes. And I mean, the, the support for that really is, you know, when she gets up there on the stage with Haruko, oh, even before that, when she sees Haruko come out, the expression on her face changes a little bit. And then when she gets up on the catwalk with her, you see, you know, there's another close up of her face and her expression is captivated, I think, by what she's seeing from that perch. Mm. And so I could, I could believe that even in that moment, you know, she discovered a new part of herself, a dream that she wanted that she didn't know that she wanted for. Which will be sort of like a role reversal with um, Hijiri, right? Who like is doing that now, literally doing that. Yeah. And doesn't want to do it. And I mean, Hijiri is the one who, throughout this episode is consistently praising Mosan, you know, saying she's, she's incredible. She's unbelievable. She's awesome. And I, I think, you know, you can sort of see why that is, especially from someone who's on the inside there, who's done this to see someone else that really wants it. You, you know what it costs and you don't want it, but you know, someone that does. Right. Right. 
and to see somebody passionate about it because that leaks, like you said, it leaks through into their work when you're passionate about a project. I mean, and I hope they, they don't just drop that or that wasn't just some weird quirk of the dub because I would really like to see, you know, sort of by the end of this, how Mosan ends up on that path, whether she makes any progress or whether she doesn't. Yeah, and I can I can easily see it deviating, but I don't know how far we'll get with episode six or whether we'll get a little bit of an epilogue that gets us a little bit further. Because, I mean, obviously with like career success, they're a little bit out for that. Yeah. I mean, they're going to finish high school. Well, I don't know. Pet seems to think that Kana could stay there forever. Maybe. I mean, if I don't know if Japan does super seniors, but I mean, it's I guess it's a possibility, right? I mean, the other way to interpret that, you know, as sort of a prescient statement is that maybe Kana in the end is one of these people that just never leaves her hometown and ends up becoming a teacher at the high school she graduates from. Ew. Well, I mean, it's at least my understanding of it, which admittedly is very limited, is that that's actually not as disreputable as it might be here in the United States, that in Japan it's actually quite difficult to become a teacher at a respectable high school. But... Because there's so few of them, I mean, that are that are held to such a high prestige. Yeah. But then again, this is me talking from the copy of Great Teacher Onizuka that you lent me. Yes. That I didn't even watch. So good. He's the best, but it's because America. <laughs> so were there any other gems you pulled out of this one, Joe? I am not going to call it a gem, but there was one other moment that was so striking to me that I have to just come out here and tell you that I'm really upset by it on a deeply personal level. In the end of that scene in the clinic there, you know, Mosan briefly wakes up and has this delirious outburst. And shot for shot, it is the recreation of Asuka's finale scene in the end of Evangelion movie. And I was terribly incensed by this oh no on tilt i i was tilted off of the entire planet at that moment i mean it's for me the number two in like the most striking scenes on film that i had seen in my teenage years you know what i can call my pre-furikuri years so so yeah so after darling in the franks do you want to die right now? <laughs> no, no. There, there we go. But, you know, this was a very impactful moment. So emotionally charged, especially for someone like myself, like Mosan, like Asuka, who is driven by pride. And so I understand a little bit of why they picked it. But the greater part of me is like, it's about 20 years later why the hell are you doing this? Right, because everything else has been there. I mean, we like I said, we got the Michael Bay, you know, that's, and then we found out, you know, Bumblebee's getting his own movie, right? That's, so I was scrolling through Instagram today, and I guess Instagram must have listened to my podcast talking trash about Bumblebee, and it's like, well, here's the ad for the Bumblebee movie this Christmas. What the fuck is this? Are they seriously going to keep milking this? The guy doesn't even have any dialogue. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. All right. I, I'm just going to spiral out of control if you just keep doing this to me. We started with something that made me angry. And now I'm starting with stuff that makes you angrier. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's like I'm doing your job for you. And 
where this where where the thing is that that I think it's a prediction almost and it's a surprising one, but I will say this crew is kind of weathered up to the end of episode three. I haven't seen a lot of rifts forming yet. I think they've kind of held together pretty well, um, despite some challenges. Um, do you think that's something that's going to change going forward? Do we have any foreshadowing for conflict in episodes four, five, and six? It's really weird because when we reviewed episode one, you had predicted that there was going to be some breakdown in their relationships. And I told you I was terrified of that because I like their relationship so much. Now we're halfway through. And I think you're right. I think we haven't seen any long lasting wedges that are obvious come up. And I'm not going to say it's a letdown, but it's not following through on that moment of dread you have at the end of episode one with that, you know, almost lighthearted forecast of something being lost in Kana's narration there. We, we're not seeing. And I, I will say right now, and this is a halfway, this is like a, you know, a midterm exam comment here. If the end point, you know, if they, they go through all these struggles and adventures, and then the end point is kind of like in the epilogue, they all go do their own thing and never talk again or never see each other again. You know, that, that's going to be very, to me, anticlimactic. Mm -hmm. You know, if it's all okay, well, and then we were adults and then we did our own thing. You know, that, that's, that's not going to be very, you know, great versus if, you know, you show some of these things happening a little bit more in the actual context of the series. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of, the, you know, that sadomasochistic feeling. It's like, I don't want anything bad to happen to them. But I want good cinema, which is going to involve a lot of heart-wrenching moments for them and me. And that is not what's happened. Yeah, exactly. Give me the, give me the feelings, because I, I, I haven't had too many of them yet. You know, the only feelings I had were the fact that I didn't think that, you know, Mosan's family was really missing any meals and that they were really struggling too much, because... That was, that was weird, because... There wasn't any food there. They were just drawing the food. Well, no, there was a pot. Like, wasn't she like stirring a pot? The mother. She was holding a ladle, but you don't actually see her do any, the mother, do any work in the kitchen there. It's just the kids drawing and drawing really well, might I add. I mean, I can see an artistic streak in the family there. So is it just, you know, they, they, they eat junk food, cheap junk food, and, and that's, that's their primary? I have no idea. I mean, it's it's certainly not as nice a habitation as Kana is living in, you know, to give a contrast for the only other residents that we've seen. But they're not in the situation that Ide was in, for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, they're, they're getting their square meals a day. No whips involved. Yeah. So I didn't know what to make of that. They're not in the slum either. They're not in the slum. No, no. Like, uh, you know... <laughs> You know, the champ. I. <laughs> From season two. <laughs> yeah. So our, our, so our characters are, you know, moving along. There's, there's, you know, arcs for these characters, but from, from what I think, you know, the, so far the, the, the lack of focus, you know, whether that's on Kana, whether that's on, you know, fewer characters has kind of, I think hurt the show so far. Mm. I think if they had, 
you know, been able to focus like even if uh, like in season two where they, you know, had Ide and Hidomi and could kind of focus on both a little bit more and, you know, just throw in some flavor of Marco and a flavor of Aiko and the other characters. Because you didn't need too much more than that to really, you know, sort of get invested and follow them. You didn't need a full Aiko episode. No, in fact, seeing that, like, like Aiko's a great example from season two. And, and, you know, once again, you should be watching season two before you're into this. But, you know, that glimpse I got of Aiko getting off the train and interacting with the group and then coming back on the train, that just, that glimpse, and that was part of an episode that honestly was way more about, I think, Ide and Hidomi than anybody else. But, you know, that was enough for me to really get into her character and get super excited about her character. And that writing was great. And they brought her back just enough step by step each episode afterward. She got like one scene in the following episode, but it was enough to let you know, hey, you know, this is more about her. You know, she's out on another date. She's rented herself. And there was things to see there. It was different than how she treated Mori. There was there was value in that brief glimpse. Right, exactly. And you know, we've had opportunities for that. And I just don't think they've been capitalized on. And we're not extracting the same amount of value from the same amount of screen time. Yeah. And it, it's unfortunate because we only get, you know, 28 minutes, you know, in in, uh, in a week, you know, and then once again, six episodes. So not not a whole lot. I mean, I will say the one, you know, for talking about brief glimpses and getting value out of it. I will say, you know, sort of finishing up what I have for this episode, I've totally changed my politics here. I don't want to vote for this prime minister anymore. I- I'm going to trust what our guy in the suit here is saying that, you know, she's probably just lying about the fact that she's not in on this whole rocket project to escape the planet. Oh, I- I'm agreeing with suit dude, too. I mean, he's totally right about that. However, I'd cast the vote as, you know, obviously she's got the money and can uh, pay it off, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, we're, I guess we're in that ambivalent point where, you know, on one hand, you want to do the right thing, but on the other hand, cash rules everything around me, you know? You want to do the thing that's going to be really good. Exactly. And, you know, I think that's where we're sitting right now, right in the middle, right in the middle of this series, right in the middle of a lot of different alternatives. So, on that note, Uh, We will see you next week for the next episode, which will be episode four of FLCL Alternative. Thank you all for listening.